Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for the inspiration of this first church community. We thank you that the same spirit who filled them fills us now. Rest upon us as we consider your word. Encourage us, challenge us, send us away with something that we might live out this week. And may it all be to your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, and this week we are focusing on that line, they devoted themselves to prayer. We thought a little bit previously about teaching, we thought about worship, we thought about fellowship, and today we're thinking about prayer. I want to say from the outset that I want this church community here at St. Peter's to be a praying people. That might seem obvious, of course, every church is going to say that, surely. But in reality, we know that there are so many competing demands. There are so many other things that we can often give our attention to. And right at the outset of this new worshipping community here, I want to say we are going to be a praying people. I want to invite you through this talk into a deeper prayer life for yourself. A richer, fuller time of prayer every day with God, on your own, with other people. And I want to then paint a picture of an irresistible church that we could become if we were a praying people like this first church community was. Of course, and just like everything else in this series, there's too much to say to fit into 25 minutes now. We're going to loop back to this over time. But I want to paint a picture today for what a praying church could be to set a vision for us that we might start to pursue before we get chance to loop back to it in the weeks, months and years to come. It's been reported recently that in the UK, more than half of people admit to praying regularly. Tear Fund in 2018 did some research which said that 51% of people in the UK pray regularly. And in one hand, that's really encouraging, right? About 30 million or so people admit to praying, admit to saying words to someone that they can't see in the hope that something might improve. Even 20% of those who say they have no faith at all admit to praying regularly. One in five people who doesn't believe that there's a God does spend time praying at some point in their week. Isn't that interesting? That they would give themselves to that and believe that something of worth is going on as they do. This is a massive opportunity because I believe that that's showing a spiritual thirst that people have and yet they don't really know the direction to point it in. They don't really know who they're talking to but if we could come in and say, look, 
There's this man, there's this God named Jesus who hears your prayers, is able to respond on your behalf and longs to be with you. You're not praying to the ceiling. You can pray to the Lord of heaven and earth. What an opportunity. But it also shows a real confusion The same study showed that half of the people who admit to praying regularly say that they don't think that anybody hears them. So 30 million or so people pray regularly in the UK, half of them, so 15 million people pray regularly but don't think anyone hears them. Now I don't really know what they're doing, maybe they just enjoy the peace and the reflection time and they've called it prayer for the sake of this study. Maybe they think that God's busy, that he might listen, but he's off somewhere else doing something else when they get to him. Maybe they're praying to somebody else who they don't think is listening. I don't really know what's going on. But this shows that it's a thirsty time. People are desperate for something to satisfy them. But it's also a confused time when people don't really know who they're talking to. They don't really know what they're praying for or in whose name they're asking anything. And in a confused and thirsty time, I believe that the church of Jesus needs to be bold and consistent in its prayer. It needs to show that there is a God who listens, that your thirst can be satisfied in Jesus Christ, that there is a God in heaven who hears your prayer, who longs to respond, and who is with you through the ups and downs of life. Part of me really wishes that I could speak to those 15 million people and say, look, there is a God who's there waiting for you. His ear is turned towards you. Don't think that you're just talking to your walls. Know that there's a God who longs to respond. I wish I could speak to those 15 million people, and maybe I will, because some of them surely will be here in Bury. I long to show them that there is a God who satisfies their thirst. I think any of us who've been a Christian for any length of time will recognize that prayer is so important. But because it's so important, it's one of the areas that the enemy wants to disrupt the most. The enemy knows that if you get time face to face with God every day, that incredible things will start to happen. And so the enemy invests loads of his resources, loads of his time in disrupting you from that. Maybe it's sowing seeds of doubt. Well, it's not really worth it, is it? Nothing will really change. It's just coincidence so that we don't pray. Maybe it's giving ourselves over to distraction so that we've got 10 minutes for everything else and then, oh, suddenly all the time's gone and there's no time for prayer. Maybe the enemy's sowing a weariness. That means that we might pray once. Maybe we'll pray twice, but we've got no energy to persevere. Maybe the enemy is sowing division so that we don't want to be around other people, praying in one heart, with one mind, as the church here in Bury. Maybe the enemy is doing something different for you, but we've got to be honest that because prayer is so important, because it's the only thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to do, it's also one of the central areas where the enemy wants to come and disrupt things. Because he doesn't want this church to be a praying church. Because he knows that a praying church, like the one we've read about in Acts, will go on to see signs and wonders regularly. We'll go on to see numbers being added daily. We'll go on to see the poor being fed. We'll go on to see justice being brought about. 
The enemy knows that a praying church is a powerful thing because we're praying to a powerful God. And so he's going to try and get his way and disrupt what we're doing. We're going to resist those lies today, combating them with truth. And with joy, we're going to be a praying people who can't wait to get in front of God again. Sometimes that'll be on our own, praying in the secret place. Sometimes that'll be gathering with others and doing it together. Sometimes our prayers will be really quiet, where we're listening for the voice of God and instill reflection. Sometimes they'll be really loud and exuberant. Sometimes it'll be in all the languages of earth. Other times it'll be in the heavenly language of tongues. Sometimes it'll be planned regular, persistent prayer. Other times it'll be spontaneous. It'll just erupt because it's what we want to do. Sometimes we'll use ancient, beautiful words. And sometimes we'll come up with our modern hearts cry. However we do it, we're going to be a praying people. In and for Berry, from and for heaven. What do I mean by that? In and for Berry, from and for heaven. Well, let's start with the first part of that. In and for Berry. Our vision here at St. Peter's is that it would be in every sphere of Berry as it is in heaven. That every bit of Berry, every sector of society, every street that makes it up would be more and more like the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that it would be on earth as it is currently in heaven where God's rule and reign is uncontested, where his blessing is poured out, where he is on the throne and no one else usurps him. We're praying that that heavenly dimension would come down to earth and that it would reside, it would take root in every bit of Berry. So it's not just that the church is heavenly and everything else is not, but everything else starts to become a bit more like the kingdom of heaven as well. A vision like that, as if it needs saying, is categorically not going to come about unless we pray. It's deliberately a vision that's too big for me or any one of us, even us combined, to try and go about doing without coming to God first and foremost in prayer. We're not going to get a step down the way to seeing the kingdom of heaven come to bury without prayer. And yet, even with all of that going on, so often it can be the last thing that we turn to. And today we say we will be a praying people. It's a vision that's deliberately big so that it forces us back to God in complete and utter dependence. Because without him, this is simply not going to come about. Karl Barth was a famous Swiss theologian of the last century and he said this about prayer. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. There is so much disorder here in Berry and here in each of us. Isolated, lonely, despairing people, corruption, greed, injustice, poverty, a numbness and apathy to the things of God, lives turned in on themselves alone, 
a lack of reverence towards God, gossip, futility, so many other things are examples and show us the disorder of this world. And when we're really honest, they show us the disorder of our hearts. And the beginning of an uprising against that happens in prayer. There is a better way to live that gets rid of all of that and instead replaces it with heaven's alternative. We know where this solution comes from. We know from whom it derives. We need this kind of uprising. And the uprising begins with bended knees, with clasped hands, and with surrendered hearts who come to God in prayer. Bury needs women and men who are stationed on its walls, the watchmen and women who call out day and night for God to make his home here, like Isaiah 62 talks about. Prayer is that engine room of everything good that God has ever done through history. Prayer was the engine room of this community here in Acts. And prayer, if we're going to see anything significant happen here, has to be the engine room. The thing that propels forward everything that God wants to do. Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf was a nobleman in the 18th century in Germany. He was part of the ruling elite and he was uh, significant in a town called Hernhut. And Hernhut had given way to loads of factions and divisions. Things weren't going very well in Hernhut. But Zinzendorf was a Christian. And after a profound visitation from the Holy Spirit, a moment of Pentecost, a moment of revival, everything started to change. People learned how to love one another and the factions were made one. And then they started to pray and they prayed 24 hours a day. And that prayer meeting went on for a hundred uninterrupted years as one generation passed it on to another. This town was set to prayer. And no surprise, from that place, devotional publications were written and translated and sent throughout the world. From that place, 30 other communities built on that same model were established throughout the world where inequality was wiped out between people. And from that place, missionaries were sent throughout the world in one of the first waves of this kind of Protestant missionary movement. This people had a visitation from the Holy Spirit who taught them how to pray and they prayed uninterrupted for a hundred years. And then missionaries were sent to the end of the world to tell other people about the God that they worshipped. In Acts, they had this visitation of the Holy Spirit. They set about praying and then from that place they were sent to other cities to start new churches, to call people to repentance, to follow Jesus. And I'm praying that in Bury there'd be a visitation of the Holy Spirit that would fall on a people, that would get us praying. And then from here we would be propelled into the streets, the businesses, the offices, the networks, the sectors of society that the church hasn't got much headway in, that those places might similarly be transformed. We're going to pray in Bury and for Bury. But to get that right, that second part of the phrase I used at the beginning, we pray from and for heaven. 
Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. To all those of you who know and love the Lord Jesus today, you are right now seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Your old nature has been done away with, it's dead. And your new nature, your new spirit person enlivened by the Holy Spirit is alive. And because you are in Christ, you are sat in heaven with him, even as you're sat here right now. We pray on earth, but in reality we pray from heaven, where we're seated with Christ on his throne, answering the prayers of the world. Quite often people will say to me or to other people, but really who am I to pray? There was a man who lived in and through the American Civil War. He was a soldier and he'd been sent off to fight. He then found that his dad and his brother, all the other men of the family, had been killed in the American Civil War. And his family back at home had no one to plant the fields, plant the crops. Without that, they were going to go hungry and they were going to have nothing to sell. And basically their whole family was going to set to ruin. So this soldier left the battlefield and he he decided, I'm going to go to the President of the United States. I'm going to walk up to Washington and ask him to exempt me from military service so that I can go back home and farm the land and save my family. So this man approaches Washington and he walks up to the White House and he finds a guard on the gate and he explains what's happened to him. I've been fighting and my family are all now dead, those that would farm. I need to go back home. I need to see the president to get an exemption. And no surprise, the guard says, the president is far too busy to see you. Go home and sort yourself out. That soldier is dejected and sad and he doesn't really know what to do. So he sits on a bench taking stock. And then up to him walks a little boy who sits on the bench next to him and says, why are you so sad? The soldier turns to the boy and says, what's happened? I'm on the battlefield. My dad, my brother have died. The rest of my family is going to go into ruin unless I can go home and plant and plow the fields. I wanted to come to the president, but I've been told that he's got no time to see me. And the little boy says, come with me. So taking him by the hand, the little boy leads him round the back of the White House through a gate that no one else had seen. With this little boy, he walks past the guards into the White House itself. He walks past the government officials, the other civil servants who are there going about their business. No one bats an eye. And then they walk up to the Oval Office itself. The soldier thinking, what on earth am I doing here? And then without even a knock on the door, this little boy leads the soldier in to the White House Oval Office, where President Abraham Lincoln is sat with a military advisor planning their next course of action. The president looks up and says, what can I do for you? Dad, the boy replies, this man needs to speak to you. When you pray, you don't pray unaccompanied. You pray with Jesus Christ, who takes you 
into the throne room of heaven to make your request before Father God. And with Jesus at your side, you have permanent, uninterrupted access. No one can hold you back. Because you are in Christ, God hears your prayer. You're sat in the throne room of heaven, even now, raised with Christ. And your prayers have power and significance. David Fritsch, a Christian leader, says, Don't despise your small prayer gatherings. Every major revival has its origins with a small band of intercessors faithfully crying out. Small gatherings precede big breakthroughs. When we gather to worship and pray, regardless of size, we convene the very court of heaven on earth. When we pray, we're seated with Christ in heaven. And as we pray, the court of heaven, the power of heaven comes to be with us here on earth, bringing about the very things that we pray for. So as we pray for the light of heaven to touch the darkness of earth, the darkness is pushed back. When we pray for the worship of heaven to overlay the idolatry of earth, the worship of heaven starts to come. We pray for the king of heaven to rule and reign over the whole earth. And we pray for him to usurp, to push back anyone that would try and stand in his way. When we pray, we pray in and for Berry, but we pray from and for heaven. Prayer, of course, isn't just a functional thing. I'm not just saying, you know, more prayer in equals more results out. Prayer is also a relational thing. Because every time you pray, you develop your relationship with Jesus. Jesus has not enlisted you as an anonymous ally in his cause. He wants you as a daughter or a son to know him intimately, to pray from that place. Prayer brings us into contact with the God who we love, the God who we worship. And as we pray, we're changed into his perfect image. The more we pray, the more we know our God, the more time we spend with him, the more he molds us, the more he melts off those bits of us that need to go. And like the potter with the clay, the more time he has to work on us, that we would be beautiful and useful for him in all his purposes. It always strikes me about reading this Acts passage that this church community did not have a marketing department. They didn't have a communications team. They didn't have people making signs for their church building that they didn't have. They didn't have people putting everything online and telling the people of Jerusalem, well, here's where we meet and here's what we do. All of those things are good and important. I care about lots of them and we'll do them here. But the church in Acts trusted that their best marketing strategy was their people. The church in Acts trusted that the best way for the rest of Jerusalem and even beyond Jerusalem to hear about Jesus wasn't to buy a big billboard. It was to form people in the image of Jesus and then let them loose throughout the city to do whatever they were going to do normally. 
We will do big things. We will put ourselves on the map, as it were. But the best strategy for reaching Berry is sat in this room right now. People who pray, who become more and more like the God that they love, who pray for big things to come down from heaven and make their home here on earth. And then people who go about living their life for Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, a couple of chapters on from where we've been focusing, there's this verse and it says that it was evident to all people that these men had been with Jesus. That's what prayer is. It's being with Jesus and not just saying, we really want this to happen, please go and make it happen, Jesus, as important as that is. Prayer leaves its mark on us as the glory of heaven rests over us. The Spirit of God fills us again. And I trust that as you then come into contact with other people, people will be able to say they have been with Jesus. There's something different about them. Their words have a weight that no one else's do. Their love has a genuineness that other people's doesn't. Pray so that you're with Jesus, because when you're with Jesus, the difference will be incalculable. We could make a big splash and really have nothing to invite people to, or we could form a people who are so in love with Jesus, so desperate to get in front of him again, that whatever they do leaves the aroma of Christ wherever they go. Prayer is the thing that will bring that and so much more about. I want us to be a praying people who devote ourselves to God wholeheartedly, who stoke the furnace, as it were, with every prayer that they pray so that God's glory burns brightly in this place and in each of us that Berry might be changed.